On today's episode of The Data Show, my guest is Ishai Carmiel, president of Spoken Labs and also a veteran of deep learning, particularly as it's applied to text and speech. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Welcome to the Riley Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica, here today with Ishai Carmiel, who's president of Spoken Labs. Welcome to the Data Show. Hey, Ben. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So let's start with a little bit of your background. Um, actually, let's start by uh, talking about what, it's, what does Spoken do? So Spoken is a Seattle-based company, and basically what we are doing is uh, we're a cloud infrastructure company, and we provide customer service like BPOs uh, just to migrating all of their infrastructure into the cloud. So basically, we have our own data centers. Uh, we have more than 150 patents. And the interesting thing is that the type of data and the amount of data that is coming through our system. So as an example, we have Route 9 2016 around 100,000 hours of speech that are being recorded every day. And we are target half a million hours in 2017. So that's a big number. And we are recording agent screens. So in 2016, we are going to record around 3 billion images in a year. And in 2017, hopefully 10 billion images. And we have tens of millions of user interaction with agents on a yearly basis. So the type of data is really interesting. And it's as a data scientist, it's really interesting for me to work on this type of data. So actually, this is uh, might be a somewhat of a revelation to many of our listeners, because uh, this type of data is usually associated with this hipster Bay Area companies like Facebook, Google, right? Uh, but yeah, it makes sense that uh, uh, people who do CRM and customer service will have this type of data. But uh, before we dive deeper into uh, what you're doing now, um, so how did you end up um, working in, in, in this industry? Oh, that, that, that's actually, I'm, I'm, I'm a former mathematician. So I was working on advanced math and I was working on a few, uh, in pure mathematics. And eventually I wanted to start, you know, you know, using these equations and numbers to work on, you know, on algorithms. So by, you know, a friend of mine told me that, you know, that was in the early 2000s that, you know, speech recognition is a very interesting field. So I started working in speech recognition. And, you know, until 2011, speech recognition, it was some kind of a frustrating field to work because, you know, we are applying very... So were you, Yishai, uh, were you an academic mathematician or industrial mathematician? Well, I'm, I was, you know, I was, I was academic mathematician. I was, you know, pursuing my, my graduate, oh. student, graduate studies. And so by the time you entered speech recognition, what, uh, what were the techniques that were cutting edge at that time? Basically, hidden Markov models and Gaussian mixture models. Um, if you're thinking about speech, so speech is some kind of, and we call this problem as, as, as a temporal, sp spatiotemporal problem, because you need to do some kind of a classification in, in, in very small time frames, but then you need to create some kind of a layer of context dependency, and then you apply the hidden Markov models on top of them. So, uh, Back in you know, I'm saying back in the days, these were the most advanced techniques, and they uh, they were not uh, they didn't scale to large data sets, right? Well, they were scaling, but first of all, during these days, it was very hard to find large data sets. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So most most of the times we were working with you know very small, very 
small amount of corpuses. Like I was doing you know, speech recognition training on, on 100 hour of speech corpus, which was considered a very, very nice one. You know, the, the biggest one was around 2,000 hours of speech corpus, which was, you know, an, ino- an enormous back in the days. And right now, right now we are thinking about 2,000 hours, you know, it's, it's just a starting point to create the models. And uh, it was around, what, 2011 when deep learning kind of caught the attention of the speech recognition community. And I believe, I think that um, while we on the outside associate deep learning with computer vision, Historically, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Yashai, but the, the early success story was actually in speech, not vision. Yeah, right. You're right. So the first, so the big revolution, you know, there was a very famous paper by Microsoft Research uh, together with uh, one of Hint, uh, Jeffrey Hinton students in a very famous speech conference that is called Interspeech in 2011, almost five years ago. Microsoft Research started to exploring deep learning for speech even in 2009, 2010. But the big revolution started in 2011, where let me just give you an example how what the impact of this revolution. So usually in speech recognition, we are measuring the success or the, 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 the success of the algorithm with a measure that is called word error rate. You know, if you have some kind of a corpus, what, how many words you are, mis, you are miscorrect, misdetecting. So 10%, it's a huge break. And deep learning created 30% word error rate reduction, which is enormous back in the day. So that was a revolution. So this was in that 2011 paper you're, you're studying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then at that point, uh, what was the reaction of the broader speech community? Oh, did they say, oh no, let's drop everything we're doing and let's go to deep learning? <laughs> well, uh, I don't, well, it's, first of all, you need to, un- you need to understand that, you know, this paper, Microsoft Research did an, an, an amazing job. And just, implementing or investigating the paper that it was really complicated because they were, they were very innovative. They were using GPUs for training. They were using very innovative models. Back in the days with deep belief networks with spread training, nobody, you know, most of the speech community was not aware of that. So uh, in 2012, you know, I know that Google started implementing that and there is, was a very famous paper that three different groups no, from Microsoft, Google, and IBM, together with Jeff Hinton, published a, a paper about the impact of uh, the reporting. Each group reported their results, and all of them reported that you know that deep learning is the is the new hot pig in speech recognition because it it, it, it's, it is a revolution. So what's the what's the so how did it evolve? So 2011, 2012, and then now now basically most most uh, most people who are doing speech are using deep learning, right? Yeah. So. When we are considering a speech recognition system, so it's not that we have a single deep learning algorithm in the system. So I think that maybe I'll, I'll give some kind of an introduction what speech recognition is actually is. So it's divided into three parts. Basically, you have the signal, the signal part when you have some kind of a speech signal and you are trying to create, to extract speech, speech segments because the signal can be noisy. So you are trying to extract speech segments and then you're trying to extract some kind of a features like every machine learning problem. And then we have in speech, we have what we call the acoustic level. We are, we are, you are just trying to classify these, you know, features into different type of sounds. Uh, but also we assume that, you know, if a person is, is saying something, he's saying words and words are becoming, you know, into sentences. And then we have the language level, which we take these sounds and combine them into words and then combine them together into, into some kind of a sentence. So in, in all of these three levels, all of, you know, they are, a lot of different algorithms, and right now, a lot of these algorithms are based on deep learning techniques. 
And that is why, you know, if you want to say I'm using deep learning for speech, so it's not just using a single algorithm, it's using a variety of algorithms to all of these type of techniques. So where, where do the older uh, approaches uh, fall under these days? Are they just uh, abandoned? Well, the old approaches were, so the old approaches are right now are abandoned because I'll give you an example how big is the impact. So like in computer vision, there is a very famous challenge that is called the ImageNet challenge. Right. So we see, you know, in 2012, it was around 16.5, top five. And right now it's, it's, it's almost 3%, I think 3.1. So in speech recognition, we have a database, we have a speech corpus that is called SwitchPort. So we're in the speech community, it's a very well-known database. And before deep learning, I think the world error rate was around 23, 24% world error rate. Recently, IBM published a paper that you know, the world error rate is below 7%. So that's almost 75% reduction in the world error rate. So that's amazing. So that is why nobody's even trying to use the old methodologies. So for the non-technical listener, uh, kind of give a high level of explanation of why uh, uh, deep learning works so much better than these other older approaches. So basically, if you're considering speech recognition, so speech and NLP goes together because of the language level, because once you are trying to combine words into, into sentences, you're also applying, applying uh, la- language modeling and NLP techniques. And basically, back in the days, it's like every speech recognition, every machine learning task, you need to, for every type of algorithm, you need to handcraft the techniques in order to get the better, you know, to create a better performance. And right now you are saying, hey, I, w- I want you know, to know the algorithm will learn automatically the features and will do better classification and deep learning and deep learning models are, are better at that. So we see that, you know, in computer vision, you know, it generates better features and it does, does better classification. And also in speech recognition, it does better classification and better analysis on, on the language. That's basically why is it better. Um, so... At least when I started following deep learning, probably this is two, 2013, it seemed like the at that point, the community was quite small that to actually learn about deep learning, you had to almost apprentice with one of these research groups because it was uh, very difficult to actually uh, glean from the papers what, uh, what the details were of what they were doing. So how did you, uh, how did you enter the field? So... I entered the field, I was working, there is, in speech recognition, there is a very well-known open source that is called Caldi. It's developed by John Hopkins University, and I was working on speech-related applications, speech recognition applications that are based on Caldi. And the John Hopkins guys started to, to implement deep learning models and, and upload them into into the, into this open source so then i started working or evaluating also deep learning based models um, actually for speech recognition it's even more complicated because you know the, it's there is building a deep learning application for speech recognition it's 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 very it's very it's very tough because you don't have a lot of open sources and you need also you need to handcraft all of these models it's in opposed to computer vision where you have a, you have lots of open sources, a lot of you know, different people working on that, and so you the, say, yeah, So for someone who's not uh, in the field, uh, explain why what you mean by that. Because nowadays you have access to open source libraries like TensorFlow and Piano, 
uh, and they have some examples for speech, right? Right. But building a speech recognition, you know, so deep learning is only one of the parts in speech recognition. So when, when you are thinking about speech recognition, so you have a, you have a very, you have, you need to handcraft, you know, you need to understand a lot about signal processing because you're extracting very... You know, I was going to ask you about that because it, uh, uh, I, I, I imagine signal processing is still a big part of it, right? Yeah, it's a big part of it. And actually speech recognition right now, it's, I know, in, in opposed to images, uh, speech recognition is very sensitive to noisy data. Meaning that if you know if I'm talking you know to my mobile phone from a very close close microphone, the performance are amazing. But if I'm talking you know the microphone is three is around ten feet ten feet far from me, then it's, the, the performance degrades degrades rapidly. So it still is an open problem. So one of the techniques that people are trying to use are a lot of you know advanced signal processing techniques, and you know, recently also apply deep learning techniques into these signal processing models to get better performance. So your your tool your toolkit as a speech recognition uh, modeler and engineer is broad. Yeah. That is why if you, you need a lot you need to gain a lot of experience in order to want to understand the full floor of a speech recognition system. Also one of the all one of the key problems is, is that you have think about it, you have sounds and you have you have different sounds that combine into words and they're combined into sentences. So in terms of, you know, you so this is like a very complicated dynamic programming uh, task. So the so we have a very complicated uh, search mechanism in the speech, trying to find the best the best pass out of, you know, millions of possi possibilities. So also, you know, this is not related to, to deep learning. This is related to very large scale search problems on graphs. So you also need to understand a lot of, a lot of, and handcraft you know, these techniques. So when we are discussing about speech recognition, you need to master a lot of techniques in order to build a very good speech recognition system. So you talked about text as being an integral part of a speech recognition system, and, and that makes a lot of sense. So, so basically, at, at some point, uh, do you in, speech, uh, in the speech field, you have to grapple with NLP type problems as well? Oh, for sure. So when I'm thinking about speech recognition, I'm not, I'm thinking, you know, my main aim is to understand, you know, the meaning of what people are saying. You know, people are interacting with other people, with machines through voice, because this is the most natural way. But, you know, if I just, you know, transform everything to text, then I won't be able to do anything with that. And actually in AI, there is some kind of a terminology that is called that when you are building some kind of an AI system, you have two levels. You have what we call the machine perception, which is building the infrastructure like, you know, speech recognition or some kind of a computer vision or video analysis. And we have what we call the machine cognition, which is the reasoning. So in, when we are talking about speech, where, you know, the reasoning is applying NLP techniques on top of that and understand what's, you know, what the user is. Or, and then, and then you, still, you also need access to knowledge, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah uh, so you have to, uh, the system has to know something. Yeah. So, and actually, one of the problems with uh, applying NLP techniques to speech is that most of the NLP algorithms are trained on text corpuses, and not, and you know, people talk totally different than they, they write. People. So basically, uh, all of them, all of the NLP models need to be fine, need to be handcrafted or redesigned for output from a speech recognition system, and this is a well-known problem in, in NLP. 
you know, as, some, as someone who uh, reads uh, raw transcripts of podcasts like this, I can attest to the fact that people talk very differently than they write. Um, yeah. And uh, so let me ask you this. So do you follow uh, some of the uh, developments of in, in terms of deep learning uh, applications in text? particularly some of these RNNs and LSTM results? Oh, of course, because we are working on these type of problems. So basically, uh, if there are a lot of, right now, there are a lot of in interesting applications in terms of NLP. So right now, I think that, you know, three interesting applications is question answering, okay? Is, and this is being used for, uh, with LSTMs. Okay, because you know when I'm asking a question, there is some kind of an answer. So, but, so know, first can... off, let's uh, let's uh, describe for our listeners what LSTMs are. Okay, so LSTM basically is is, is some kind of a recurrent recurrent neural network, and it's it's the, the the initial for that is long short term memory, and LSTM. So it, basically, if you are talking about speech or or text, so you have a lot of context dependency. Because you don't, you cannot, you know, do some kind of a classification based on a single word or a single part of a speech. So you need some kind of a very recursive, uh, some kind of a recursive neural network that has some kind of a memory. So because text has a lot of context dependency, so recursive neural networks are an ideal candidate for that. And LSTMs are just specific models that are being used because you know they converge in some somewhat uh, better and. Actually, LSTMs. One of the interesting applications of LSTM is in machine translation. So, and when I'm talking about machine translation, I'm not just trying to refer to translating some kind of a sentence from English to French or from English to German. Is you know, I'm trying to see some kind of a sequence of tokens and transforming it into different sequence of tokens. Okay. So that's you know, there was a very famous research paper in 2014 about it that is called Sequence to Sequence that used LSTMs to do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is Ilya and Oriol, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So basically, that's, 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 that's really interesting. So basically, think about it. Is that, let's take a, a, some kind of a, a question and answers. So assuming that they have, you know, large amount of data on, of, of people asking, you know, different questions and different answers, okay? And now, right now, a person is asking a, a new question. So the key, you know, one of the problems is that can I predict what is, what should be the answer? So if you're using LSTMs and you're using this type of problem as like a machine translation problem, you know, here's a question, say sequence of tokens, and here are the answers, a different sequence of tokens. Let's create some kind of, you know, recursive neural network to do the matching. Then if you have a new question, you, are, you can try to predict what should be the answer. And this is actually a very interesting, and, you know, we see a lot of amazing results being published right now about that. So one of the things about uh, deep learning is that it, it uh, depends on a lot of labeled data, right? So going to your question and answer example, um, it it would require a lot of data for it to be able to produce reasonable answers, right? Well, yeah, yes, yes and no, okay? Because if I'm analyzing conversation, okay, think about it. So if I'm analyzing conversation and I know that uh, this, you know, this is a question that you know one of the users is asking a question. Then I can assume that the, the that the that the next sentence of the of the the person on the other side will be some kind of an answer. 
okay so of course you know it's you no know, of course we need to make you know some assumptions and to fine tune it and add some you know probabilistic models on top of that but then we can just uh, say hey this is some kind of you know um this is the matching this is the type of matching that we want that's one that's one thing another thing is regarded your question of of you know a non labeled data that this is a well known problem in you know deep learning and especially in speech recognition is that right now with the exponential growth of data so uh one of the problems is that we don't have a lot of label data so can we create some kind of a deep learning models and this is this is an ongoing research of uh, using unsupervised uh, learning methodologies for deep learning yeah but then uh uh what would uh, what would this uh, method produce it would produce what clusters maybe uh dimension reduction right so well when when we are thinking about uh, so not necessarily think about it so i'll i'll give you an example when i'm doing you know if i have some kind of you know a, assuming that i have an algorithm machine learning algorithm with some kind of a confidence measure okay that you know can output me you know how much i'm sure that i got the right answer okay and with some kind of you know a deep learning model we can use it because we have some kind of you know an output from the neural network some kind of a probabilistic measure how much the network is confident about that so we let's you know the, the naive technique will say hey let's do some kind of a you know classification and just use you know the high probability you know confidence outputs to to retrain the system Okay let's assume that you know that I have you know some kind of you know a sentence that I don't know what's what is being said over there but you know my speech recognition system says uh, the sentence with 90% there is 90% confidence that the sentence says hello my name is easy shy so then I can you know enter this sentence into my training system and say hey uh, I'm not 100% sure but I'm 90% sure that what's being said over there is hello my name is easy shy so this is you know one of the the techniques that we are using it's not actually clustering it's something like you know we're using some kind of technology so, uh, i guess i guess the main thing is that uh, when humans don't need a lot of data to detect a pattern right so where some of these algorithms seem to require a lot more data yeah 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 yeah, yeah. So, so now now that we are in whatever year 5 year 6 of uh, this deep learning explosion uh now we have many more tools like i mentioned earlier right so these open to uh, source packages like tensorflow tiano torch um has deep learning become more accessible to the point that it's gotten easier for you to hire uh the types of engineers and data scientists that you need that's a good question so basically the answer is yes okay because uh, right now some of these deep learning problems are more like engineering problems and not as a very research problems but that depends on the task and the and the use case so if i'm talking about a computer vision we are also working on computer vision so the answer is definitely yes because tensorflow and all the addons on top of tensorflow and with all the advanced research it's much easier to generate you know state of the art leading edge technologies with a very short amount of time when we are talking about nlp it's a little bit trickier because the type of you know the type of problems that we are uh, approaching are not using classical deep learning models but using more advanced models or some kind of you know more complicated more complicated problems okay and if you are talking about speech speech is still a very it's very hard it's very hard to find you know uh, people who it who seems must... to me Ishai, that speech is still in the ver- very early days right so there's still a lot of uh, 
work to be done. Like just this week, I used Google Voice and uh, I received voicemail and then Google Voice attempts to transcribe the messages. And I just always laugh at the way it transcribes the message. <laughs> so that's a very good point. And that's one of the problems with speech recognition right now because it's application dependent. Meaning that, you know, Google Voice work amazingly well if you are trying to do some kind of a voice search. So Google engineers adapted you know, the, the application give amazing, amazing results if you're doing some kind of a voice search. But transcription is a different speech recognition task. So that is why it's sometimes really problematic you know, to you to create, and it's still, an, it's still an open problem to create a speech recognition engine that can do everything. We also adapt, you know, adapt our engine you know, based on you know, the, the vocabulary and the language to each type of the application that we are working on. So what's your advice to someone, a data scientist, you know, who's already has some knowledge, use the scikit-learn and maybe Spark, MLlib. Uh, how do they enter this field, deep learning, speech? Well, I think that, you know, scikit-learn and Spark are not the ideal candidates to work. I think that if you want to start working... No, no, but I'm, I'm saying that suppose they already are proficient with those, so how do they enter into the field? So I think that the best way to understand is to use a one of the well-known open sources in speech and try to understand what's going on in there. And then I would say definitely start going using Caldi, which is a very which is the most well-known open source in, in speech recognition and the most advanced one. And it has bleeding in it has the most advanced algorithms and its, it's uh, performance are amazing and amazingly well. So in your current job basically customer relationship management. So is this a, are these call centers? Yeah, some yeah. of them are. So uh, coincidentally, I grew up in the Philippines, which is now the call center capital of the world. <laughs> so it sounds like uh, uh, what you folks are building is going to eliminate a lot of call center jobs. Well, I don't think so. I, I'll tell you why, because, you know, Right now, there is a huge hype on AI and people think, hey, you know, AI is going to conquer the world and, you know, it's going to replace humans. But a human being is, 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 is we are very smart. And, you know, understanding, you know, when this is, you know, one of the things that we're investigating, understanding AI, artificial intelligence for conversation, it's a very complicated problem. And one of the things that we are trying to do is not replacing replacing the call center agent is creating some kind of a recommendation system. An aug system. augmentation. Some kind of an augmentation or some kind of a recommendation system that if a person is saying something and, you know, the system, you know, analyzed hundreds and millions of different, uh, calls before, it may may uh, assist the call center agent, you know, to go into the right direction based on that. Can, uh, can, uh, can uh, the leading edge speech recognition systems detect emotion? And by that, Yeshai, I mean uh, one of the things that I wonder is uh, can AI ever replace like a 911 operator? You know, in, uh, in the US, we have this uh, 911 system for emergency calls. So then uh, people who call in are usually very distressed. They're breathing heavily. They're hard to understand. Uh -huh. So uh, can, can, uh, can speech recognition systems detect emotion? So basically, emotion detection. So when we are talking about speech recognition, so in terms of you know the speech community, it's you know taking some kind of a speech and transforming it into some kind of a textual information. 
when we are to, uh, discussing about emotion detection, this is, you know, another field in speech. This is called speech analysis. It's also involved a lot of machine learning algorithms. Um, and yes, right now, and it's, 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 it's very funny because right now, um, deep learning is also a very hot topic right now in machine learning application for, for speech that are not speech recognition, like emotion detection. So the answer is yes. Eventually, hopefully one day, I'm not sure that right now, but, but one day the, this should be the case. And so one of the things that probably you, you folks also do, do you also do kind of these chat bots? <laughs> yeah. Where it's, text, so, where it's text instead of speech? Yeah. So what we are working is that, so this is a, right now, this is one of the most interesting uh, topics in speech in speech in speech and also in, in ai or even in, in 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 tech people are really excited about chatbots yeah yeah so when, when we are talking about chatbots we need to, to to classify them into two parts a dialogue system and some kind of you know a, a single single answer and reply okay so when i'm talking about a dialogue system uh, i need I'm, it's like having a conversation with the bot which is much more complicated okay but, you know, most of the chatbots right now are related to some kind of a very simple task, like, you know, what we call slot filling or intent classification, which I can elaborate what, what actually it means. So it'll be like, for example, I, I go to whatever, uh, United Airlines, and then uh, the interface is a chatbot. I type a question, um, and I'm usually just expecting a straightforward answer. So where, where would that fall? Yeah, so let, let, me give, let me give you an example, okay? So one of the interesting things in, in chatbots is, is an application that is called slot filling. Um, slot filling is that, assuming that I'm, let's, let's take your United, uh, United Airlines example. So I want to book a flight with a chat, okay? So I'm saying I want to book a flight from Los Angeles to San Francisco, okay? But, but the chatbot knows that in order to do that, you need, you know, you need a where do from where you know a source destination. So uh, the original destination, where do I want to go? Departure date and you no know, going back date. Okay, so we have four different parameters. So if I'm saying, for example, I want to fly from from Los Angeles to San Francisco, then then the sophisticated chatbot will say, hey, I got I got two of these parameters. Right now, I need to ask for the the, the additional two parameters. If I would say, and you know, a sophisticated chatbot will also understand if I would say I want to fly from Los Angeles on May 25th, it will also ask me, uh, the answer will be, okay, where do you want to go and when do you want to go back? So based on, you know, my, my initial question, it will know what should be, it will change, in, it will change its, its answer based on that. So this is a very well-known. So, uh, so you end up uh, training this chatbot using uh uh, a neural network, but you you have all of these uh, labeled conversations, right? Yes, yes, yes. So and then, uh, so then, does how? Uh, so it's very specific to the task at hand or the domain, right? So, so how much uh, can you use some kind of transfer learning to take a system you train, say, for airlines, to a system that can answer questions on health? Yeah, so that's exactly what you know, people are researching right now. Because, you know, if you need to build a different application to each type of this task, this, this, this is not scalable. And you cannot, that, no, so you'll have a very nice demo, but in terms of product, it would be very problematic. So your master chatbot is this huge ensemble. Yeah. So 
basically you are building the infrastructure and you know so one of the things that you are doing is you're creating some kind of a generic algorithm and based on some based a on assume that you'll get new data of conversation then you you hopefully can do some kind of a transfer learning that's one of the techniques that uh, people are using right now so where are we uh, in terms of chatbots uh, we, we still have a lot of work to do right i i think so i think so right now we see we see a lot of interest from the industry and i think the there is a huge interest and huge hype uh, on that but i think that it will take some time to to see a very advanced AI system that you know can solve a lot of you know problems. My, my prediction is that for a regular developer and for most companies, this will just be some kind of web service or API that yeah. they talk, right? For, for sure. And I think that you know right now one of one of the problems not even with chatbots but also with deep learning is that there is there, it's, it's, there is a there is some there is some kind of a gap in technology gap between the companies who master deep learning like Google and Microsoft, Apple and Facebook, and with the, from the regular companies who don't have access to these kind of technologies. And eventually, you know, you will use some kind of, you know, API to use all these amazing technologies. Um, so you alluded earlier to an AI system as having uh, a few parts. And I kind of, that's how I've been uh, thinking about AI too. You have this pattern recognition machine perception part, you've got reasoning, planning, but also I think an important part is this is knowledge, right? So these knowledge databases. Um, mm-hmm. So you folks probably in your domain have to build knowledge databases as well, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you're answering questions. Well, we are answering questions. So when we, are, when we are analyzing, so think about it, we are trying to analyze conversations. So because we have a lots of conversations, we are trying to understand, you know, to see the big picture what's going on with, you know, at, at the macro level, not, on, not only on a single conversation, but at the macro level. So we need to, uh, to, uh, to build some kind of a knowledge base uh, on top of that. So when we are building a knowledge base, so we can, you know, so we can use the classical methodologies of the knowledge base, you know, creating some kind of, you know, um, a defi- finding entities and connect them together and finding the connections between the entities. Yeah, knowledge graphs. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, entity, entity recognition, entity linking, co-reference resolution, and then building everything, some kind of a knowledge base, a knowledge graph. And there is also another, an, another technique which is similar, like, you know, let's assume that they have, you know, millions of calls of people talking about this, asking, asking, you know, uh, agents about, you know, questions about the product, some kind of a product. And I want to create some kind of a knowledge base of all, you know, all the questions and all the answers. What are they you know? What are all the what are all the questions and what are all the answers? So basically, you know, I know that if I, I assume that if a customer is asking some kind of a question, you know, the next sentence of the agent will be some kind of an answer. But I need to identify that, and I need you know to classify and to cluster together the, the the similar answers. So this is some kind of a different task of how we build our knowledge base. And actually, of course, all of these stuff are based on deep learning, right? Uh, interesting. So what other topics and trends in AI and mach- machine learning have caught your attention? And uh, let me throw out one one uh, po- possible topic. I don't know to, to, to what extent you follow this. Uh, uh, reinforcement learning, and particularly deep reinforcement learning. Is this something that uh, regular data scientists should start paying attention to? Yeah. Well, deep reinforcement learning is, is I think that that's, it's amazing. You know, what, you know, uh, what we saw from 
Google DeepMind have, have done with AlphaGo. That's so, so, so let's take a step back and uh, why don't you describe at a high level what reinforcement learning is? So basically reinforcement learning is some kind of you know, machine learning task that you have that the computer needs to take some kind of an action. Okay, it's not a prediction. You have some kind of, you know, a, a parameter. And, it, and it's, a, it, it's a sequence of decisions, right? Yeah. So it's a sequence of decisions. And based, you know, in each, each time step T, you need to take some kind of an action. And your goal in reinforcement learning is to maximize, maximize, you know, the, to find the best action. So you're creating some kind of, you know, a learning process that is called Q-learning to train the system. And traditionally, you see it a lot in games and it's starting to appear in robotics, right? Yeah, and also, you know, from our perspective, okay, from our perspective, it's also, you know, important. It's it's also interesting. We are not exploring it right now, but think about it. It's like, like an agent, okay? So an agent is, is, you know, we want to predict what should be the best action that an agent should act because an agent has some kind of a script. So think about it as like a script. Is like you know a, a a game book of what how the agent should act. So we are trying. So if you we are so, so some kind of decision tree. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's a very large decision, and you know right. the inputs right. are you know are not just you know some kind of you know fixed numbers or sentences or and people can talk di- talk uh, talk differently. So the input is some kind of a statistical information, and you know that are a sequence of words, and maybe more than that. Uh, and then we try. We will. We are trying to predict what should be the, the next best decision of the agent to improve, you know, the customer experience. So, assuming that we can, you know, we have the data, we can learn from, you know, from good agents, you know, how should they should they should act. So then we want maybe to create some kind of a recommendation system based on reinforcement reinforcement learning to do that. But you know, that's very far away. So that's. But, but oh, I, yeah, yeah, and I can see then why you're starting to pay attention to it in uh, in what you're doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so then, uh, deep reinforcement learning is what for our audience? So deep reinforcement learning is you now basically you are trying to get you know to create better features from some kind of a convolutional neural network or some kind of a deep network and feed it into the reinforcement learning model. Um, so, do you follow at all uh, what's happening in hardware? I imagine you do because you work a lot in deep learning, right? So. Yeah. So I was a, I was you know a former I was an, an embedded engineer, a firmware engineer that I was trying to you know to to apply you know apply speech recognition algorithms into uh, DSPs. So I'm really following ha- a hardware. So I think that you know I can tell you that. Right now, there are two main problems in terms of scalability uh, in deep learning. So one of the problems is the training problem, because right now, using the traditional GPUs, uh, it takes some it takes some amount of time to do a training. And usually, if you are if you are using deep learning, you, there is a technique that is called hyperparameter optimization, when you have a lot of parameters, and you are trying to find what is the best parameter source for your for your network topology. But because each type of each training takes a few hours, maybe sometimes even days, so you cannot explore a lot of parameters. So right now, people are, you know, there are. I think that there are companies who are trying to explore how they can accelerate the process of, you know, creating better, you know, much faster uh, training algorithms, you know, training, you know, training, al- training uh, algorithms, and you know, hardware that you know will accelerate the, the training. And so this will... actually, there's an interesting new uh, 
paper out of Berkeley, and uh, I'll, I'll link to it uh, to the post accompanying this uh, podcast. But uh, basically, what they found is actually just random search. <laughs> random search works best. Yeah, I well, there there is a chance, and it. it's very it's very interesting. It's very interesting to see. Yeah, no, because uh, you have all these Bayesian hyperparameter optimization papers coming out, but then uh, as they point out that actually you can just do just as well, if not better, with random search. <laughs> I think that, you know, so I, I can tell you that another problem in terms of hardware is the amount of data that you need to process. Is that right now, people, you know, we see that, you know, deep learning is, 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 is giving a huge impact on, on the type of classification problems, but right now, assuming that you have a very good deep learning algorithm, but and you want to apply it not to 100 images, to or but rather to 1 billion images a day, okay? Because right. you know, we have disposing right. data. So this all, all all this boils down to the amount of hardware that you need to invest you know, in order to apply the algorithm, okay? To implement, you know, to run your algorithm. And this is a problem that you know we have in in our company because we we are we are want to apply all these amazing deep learning algorithms, especially you know the speech and NLP algorithms. Uh, into large amount of data. So, so are you? So, uh, do you think that there will be more application-specific integrated circuits ASICs for uh, deep learning? So, Google announced one recently, right? So, yeah, yeah. So, I think no. So, it's it's a tricky question because if you are thinking from an ASIC vendor, you know, in, in creating, you know, a startup company to to invent such a, such an ASIC needs to invest a lot of money. So I'm not sure. So I think that maybe you know the the solution will come from one of the big companies. Have yeah, this. maybe. So Intel Intel's approach is still kind of using CPUs, I think, right? So yeah, yeah. I think that you know eventually you know we will need to use some kind of an ASIC machine or some kind of an FPGA, at least FPGA FPGA cards to do to do to, to work on deep learning. I'm I'm looking forward for that. Great. So this has been a great interview, great tour toward, uh, through the deep learning landscape, particularly in speech and text. And so thank you so much, Ishai. Thank you very much, Ben. It was great talking with you. You can follow Ishai Carmiel on Twitter at SpokenCom. That's S-P-O-K-E-N-C-O-M-M. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe through iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode.